0: You're listening to Get Out and Drive Podcast with John Custom Car Nerd Meyer and Sean Mr. Sedan Man Cheryl. We'll be bringing you gearheads all the information you never wanted to know about cars and why they should be on the road and not in your garage. Are you ready to get out and drive?
1: Hey, we are back with the Get Out and Drive Podcast. I am John Custom Car Nerd Meyer. It sure has been crazy. We thought 2020 was nuts. 2021, we actually got to go out places and uh, hang out and have fun. Oh, well, big thanks to everybody that had listened to us in 2020 and all the new people that we had gathered in 2021. I know most of you were probably going to work, uh, hanging out and listening to the podcast and uh, building stuff in the garage that you could actually get out and drive in 2021. So that's awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for a bunch of feedback. We talked to so many cool guests this year let's run you through the highlights. I was at a museum in North Dakota once and got to sit in front of a Tucker and just actually touch it and look at it. So crazy and weird, I never thought I'd actually get to see one of them. Fast forward, I actually get to talk to Rob Ida and the grandson of Preston Tucker, Sean Tucker. I know everybody out there has a Mustang or a 57 Chevy or a VW Bug. Those are easy to get parts for. You wanna find parts for a Tucker if you have one? And you may not know these guys. Definitely check out Rob Ida and Sean Tucker. They're using 3D printing technology. Incredible forethought. They're making parts and pieces for Tucker's that uh, were were never available as uh, as restoration parts. You know, rubber stuff, windshield gaskets, and uh, and pieces, and a whole lot of different uh, current technology to uh, to build Tucker parts. Uh, incredible crew there. Uh, really cool episode, guys. You have to uh, have to go back and listen to it if you haven't already do you find it easier to work in the virtual world or the tangible world? Uh, I think you got
2: You got to kind of do both, right? Okay. I think you get, you get to a point in the virtual world where you can do a whole lot of early work and concept stuff and, you know, get to a point where you can run through some iterations and things. Mm-hmm. But at least for me, uh, nothing beats a physical part and a physical sample. And that's, you know, so it's, Things like three D printing and things that have that have really made that stuff easier. Mm-hmm. I, for me at least, I feel like that physical sample, you know, making pieces at some point is still you know a necessary piece of the puzzle.
1: Sure, sure. And I, I know I've seen the uh, the radio enclosure uh, that was built on social media, uh, Rob. I saw that. That's a beautiful looking part. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. Touching on that a tiny bit, are you guys going to be mass producing? I hate to use the word for you know. 47 cars that are left but mass producing parts for tuckers
3: yes i think that we can probably provide enough um of the items for tuckers being that there's only 47 of them that still exist most of them are together and in a very good condition and um most of them are actually in, in museums or show condition but that doesn't mean that they're all correct so there are things Understood. like uh, like rubber, you know, that fits around the windshield. The standard was to use something from the from the restoration world that maybe fit a Chevy that yeah. worked on a Tucker, but it wasn't exactly correct. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, things like that we can now make available uh, so that other Tuckers can be, you know, put back into more uh, correct situation. Mm-hmm. The radio enclosure that you mentioned that we made yesterday, uh, Not not every Tucker needs that. Most of them do have it, but sure. if there are a dozen or so out there that need it yes we can provide that it is still a handmade part Mm -hmm. but being that we're not trying to make thousands of them yeah we could probably uh, furnish any any tucker that needed that that part we can we can do it and depending on the volume or the complexity of the part Mm -hmm. we would decide then is it going to be handmade or is it going to be produced off some kind of a tooling Mm -hmm. whether or not it's um tooling that's made for short run or for major manufacturing
1: I know everybody having a patina car or truck now seems to be all the rage. You're seeing them more and more at the car shows mixed in with the shiny cars. They seem to be getting more of attention. We got to talk with Blake Evans of Sweet Patina. He's the man to talk to to get car care products to help you take care of that sweet patina look.
4: <laughs> well, my mind goes a thousand miles an hour with everything that I do as far as... Um, you know, creating sweet patina stuff, because like I said, it, it's my hobby. It's my passion. Right. Uh, I have a career, which is therapy and that'll always be my career. But, you know, when it comes to the sweet patina stuff and being able to get creative, uh, yes, I have a ledger of, uh, or a little notepad of of things that we want to have come out, mm-hmm. you know, under the brand sweet patina and it's, and it's all geared towards, the DIY guys Mm -hmm. and the road trip guys and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah, we're definitely excited for what we got coming up.
1: Very cool. Tell us about some of your, uh, some of your products. I see some of your patina sauce in the back there.
4: Yeah. So I don't know where to start with that either. (laughs) So let's go for, um, so yeah, we'll do a roof rack. Um, so everybody knows that, you know, the, the old company that was making this was quick and easy Mm -hmm. and, You know, they they went out of business. I remember calling to order a stash of these from a a supplier that they used, and the little girl on the phone she was like, "They're no longer in business." That was a one man operation. I was like, "What? Wow! You kidding me?" I was like, "Do you have his name? You have his info?" She was like, "No, we don't have any of his info." You know, I was like, "Yeah, right." Well, anyway. Uh, I ended up getting in touch with the guy that was making them. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where, like, I would call him and then, and then I would mention something about the racks. And then he'd say, quick and easy is no longer in business. Click. Uh-huh. And I was like, "Ah, oh, that wasn't how I wanted to do this. <laughs> so then I'd wait a little while and I'd call him and I'd say, hey, man, you know. And I would just try to tell him, you know, like, hey, man, these products don't need to just go to waste. He was going to just, um, he was going to, like, trash it. Mm-hmm. You know, trash the whole
1: equipment everything really i'm sure everybody's heard the term goujob. job is that offensive or not well we talked to clayton pattison mr model t who built a gow job and he tells us what he thinks about that term that's a beautiful car and and i have to ask Mm -hmm. you if if uh does the term gow job offend you?
2: No, absolutely not. The, uh, or is that a derogatory no, term? <laughs> uh, because that would be, that's the most. Hist- I don't think well, it is. No, that, it's not derogatory at all. That's actually the most historically accurate term to refer to it. Um, okay. So you've done your homework. And I greatly <laughs> appreciate it because the one term, <laughs> the, the one term that bugs the heck out of me is rat rod. The R word. Yes. The R word. Yes. I'm sorry. You know, I don't, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't fault anybody for what inspires them because that's the whole reason we're oh, here is inspiration and, right. you know, keeping buddy in the, in, in the hobby. But some of those, man, <laughs> some of those I look at and I
1: think, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, so you're yeah. telling me so you're telling me now your car doesn't have chicken wire roof and square exhaust pipes? No. No. Decidedly not. All right. We're done <laughs> here. But,
2: you know, when you no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> when you lump it in, when you lump in the term rat rod for everything that is everything that is not a show rod from the Detroit Autorama, it right? it's No. Learn your terminology because <laughs>
5: He's getting frustrated yeah. already.
1: This is awesome. This well, is it's, awesome. It's, it's a pet peeve. I just find the scab yeah.
2: and I pick at it her and here we go. It's a pet peeve. But I, I shouldn't, I like I said, I don't fault anybody awesome. for liking what they like.
1: You think you know a lot about Oldsmobiles? You've obviously not met Jerry Wilson. This guy grew up and lived above a gas station. He told us a cool story about how his interest in cars was sparked by his childhood. Well, wow. as a child, Jerry, what what drove you to be involved with cars? I mean, you're, you're cruising along as,
6: and when did you decide that cars were important? Well, let me tell you, I, I was born in Manchester, Iowa. Mm-hmm. In the hospital where I was born, there, there was a uh, the window in the room I actually overlooked the the uh, Phillips 66 gas station that my grandfather owned. And uh, I mean, literally, with, they were on adjacent properties. And her, uh, my grandfather was involved in automobiles uh, for a long time. He had a service station. Mm-hmm. And I had an uncle who was about eight years older than me. And so in, in a lot of ways, I spent a lot of time with him you know, when I was growing up. And mm-hmm. so I got involved with the cars because my grandfather was involved with them. And I go hang out at the station uh, with, with my grandfather and his friends and the other people who were there and then go out and learn about, uh, about cars. I can remember sleeping, you know, and the they, they they lived in a in a house that was a four-way stop, and uh, I'd sleep up in the uh, you know in the upstairs, mm-hmm. and all the windows would be open at night, and I remember when I was tiny listening to cars that as they stopped at this at this stop sign they'd all start up, and by the time I was just I probably about six or seven years old I could tell you what kind of cars they were without even seeing them because I could tell by listening to the transmissions. Whether it was a Plymouth, you know, you start, if you start a Plymouth, if you're into Mopar, you start a Plymouth, you're going to know what, what Plymouth sound like, or Pontiacs, or Chevys, or Fords. And they all had a distinct sound. And so I remember doing that. remember my uncle learning to drive when he was 16, learning to drive a Jeep. And I was riding around in the yard with him. <laughs> so that was kind of the experience that I had over the course of time.
1: You like to get out and drive fast? So do we. We get a chance to sit down with Steve and CJ Strupp. They own the ECTA Arkansas Mile. They talk to us about what it really takes to run over 200 miles an hour safely.
7: Because that first pass, you're not screaming. So it's tempting you to start looking around in the car and not pay attention.
1: Because you get comfortable at that speed. yeah, And and it doesn't feel as fast as you think. Yeah, gives you... And, but
7: then when you do that, you'll be late on the brakes, and we're gonna tell you that uh, you might need to go do that again. No harm, no foul. Nobody got hurt. Nobody right. got, nobody's locking the brakes because they're
8: like, oh my lord. And,
9: and we've gotten really positive feedback for the people. We are all used to the 125, 150, 175, 200. Mm-hmm. And that's just, we all know that. But because of our racing experience, we kind of believe, well, actually, we do believe that incidents on the track, don't necessarily happen because of the speed someone's going. It's because of the operator, and they've become disoriented. They've looked down. They're playing with something or, you know, whatever it is. become in some way distracted. And I know for, well, how could you be distracted? We're humans. We actually can do a whole lot in a few seconds. That's why we developed this, and we've gotten really good positive feedback because there's no, okay, I went 130, now i got to go back and do it again. There's an emotional component to racing, right? It's all about the emotion. It's about the ego. Well, it can also be pretty depressing, too. If I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep trying. I've spent like four hours, and my car's just really fast. I can't keep it at that speed, or I'm, I'm just focused on that speed and looking down at, at the tack. So everyone's like, I got that. I can look around. I can think I'm comfortable, you know, where I'm at on the track. And so everyone I talk to, they're like, that makes sense. Because here's reality. When we say, yeah... Go out, you know, go as fast as you can to the half mile. Most people aren't. If they've never been there or they've been there and it's a new new build, they're sensible people. Nobody has a death wish doing this kind of racing. We talk about top speed and how exciting it is. Nobody's got a death wish. They're going to go 130 miles an hour, 140, you know, whatever it is, and then they're going to do what Steve says. Now, if they do stop late at the mile, because when we tell them to stop with the brake, we're not saying stop. You tap the brake so basically you indicate to us that you know where you're at on the track.
1: You may know this next guy from RacingJunk.com, Big L Liebman, but did you know he's the pilot of the Mustang Two Funny Car, the Frantic Ford? This guy's got a big personality, and here's a great story.
5: Spent a lot of time on the road. It was uh, it was neat. It was fun. Uh, We you know we raced against the Snake, the mongoose, uh, Blue Max, all those guys. Uh, So when we were doing funny cars, it was it was a great time. We ran some national events. But did most of our stuff. We did match races. Mm-hmm.
1: That is super cool. Uh, how'd you get involved? Uh, how'd you get involved with frantic Ford?
5: Well, the frantic Ford came around to me uh, in 2009. I knew Dodger Glenn. We used to race against Dodger Glenn, who was one of the uh, drivers of the frantic Ford. Uh, he passed away in 78 uh, in, ac- in, an, in an accident at, at Maple Grove. And we were the next pair of cars to run in line. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that, unfortunately, a few times in drag racing with funny cars or dragsters ever. We get these accidents. So in 2009, uh, we got a hold of myself and Bobby Fry. Bobby Fry is out of Pennsylvania. His father was one of the owners of the Fr- Frantic Ford funny car, not of the dragster side. And we got permission from Ford to use the name. So, uh, it was just kind of unique to see the Ford logo on a funny car right. or anything. Mm-hmm. So we're licensed, we're licensed, uh, through Ford Global Motorsports mm-hmm. and we ran the frantic Ford. I built a couple other frantic Fords first, uh, before I got involved with Rocky prone, we did an alcohol, uh, top nostalgia car and we did another alcohol car and had some issues with that. I kind of went away for about a year <laughs> and I got involved with uh, Rocky prone out of, uh, Philadelphia he has a bunch of gassers, and that's when we started the first frantic Ford in 2011.
1: okay now is that the same chassis car the Mustang 2 as the 70 or no
5: no so the 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 70 is the uh, almost an original body and the body is the brother off the gas ronda, uh body at one particular
3: point well, it I thought that looked familiar
5: <laughs> yeah so it was uh, it was a big heavy uh, I hate to use the word turd but that's what it was. Uh mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we ran a car like the car it did in the, you know in sixty nine and seventy. Right. Ran better than it ever did. The car went out and ran I think about two two ten with it. Mm-hmm. Uh with the Mustang two, we did came back as a tribute car with the Sweetman brothers out of um out of Delaware and Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh they've been around for a long time and we run down on alcohol. So that is uh pretty close to period correct looking on the outside except for the additional 30 sponsors I have right but it's <laughs> it's, in, it's in memory of Dodger because uh, Drew mm-hmm. who's the driver of the car used to work with Dodger okay so uh, and, and we got to keep Dodger's on um, memory out there you know because everybody likes the name and they like the car
1: I know you guys have all heard our intro guy that's not just some random dude that's type Tim Jordan this guy plays a typewriter in a band he doesn't have a car to drive, but he was able to get out and ride. This morning, today, uh, and a couple days previous, uh, I painted Tim Jordan's motorcycle tank. You got a Harley.
0: Yes, I got a, a 2003 <clears throat> FX-DXT, which is a T-Sport Dyna Glide, which is a performance touring Harley. All you just said, it said motorcycle to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I don't know what any of that is. It's, it, it, <clears throat> it, it, it's just most Harleys for me are just so big, mm-hmm. and I'm not a Harley guy per se. But this one in particular, especially being a 100-year anniversary, carbureted, which I love. Um,
1: oh, it had all the special tank and everything on it. Yeah, oh.
0: and, and yeah. that's why I had you paint is because I want to take the, the stock stuff off mm-hmm. and keep it in pristine condition. Because right. there's, you know, when it's out on the road, it gets nicks. I, I, I think those things should be preserved. I mm-hmm. drive the the, the, the the motorcycle nerds crazy because I'm bastardizing a stock. and
1: Bastardizing a stock anniversary And bike. The,
0: the Dyna bros and the Dyna people, mm-hmm. I'm sure in the car culture, there might right. be a certain subsection that's more complaining yeah. than the other. But in the Harley world, the Dyna people are like the worst. right. And of course, that's the motorcycle I have. Of course, so you have like to rip a, it all apart. <laughs> yeah, I come in there like a newbie, asking for advice, mm-hmm. and they just clown the heck out of me, and it just makes me sad. Because the sports mm-hmm. people are really nice, yes. but the Diner people are really mean. Mm-hmm. Oh. But I love it. <laughs> I love it, because I just poke at them. Well, you just <laughs> poke them with a stick.
1: St- you ever been cruising through life and accidentally became the host of a 25-year-running television show about cars? Well, that's what happened to dennis gage well give us uh, give us a little history uh to our listeners about my classic car about your show uh kind of where it started from and and where you plan to uh to push it to well
10: uh well it started as a complete accident mm-hmm.
1: um as all great things know, do. I,
10: yeah right <laughs> it's, a, it's a car accident that didn't involve a trip to the hospital um and, and, uh, I was just, you know, I mean, I've always been a car guy. Uh, um, but at the time I was, uh, you know, like you said in the intro, I mean, I, I did get a PhD in chemistry and I, I, I went from grad school to, uh, Procter and Gamble for 10 years and that's where I did Pringles and stuff like that. Uh, and then from there I went to be like, uh, I was a director of global product development for a Bristol Myers food company. And that's where I did boost the, the mm-hmm. nutritional right. drink. And, right. And did a lot of uh you know, I mean, I traveled all over the world and uh I had this sort of roving ambassador position because I was Dr. Gage, but I was also after 10 years of PG, I had a lot of marketing knowledge and you know, which you don't usually combine. And uh so it was a good gig. Um, but I I just you know, I mean I'd done corporate RD for 15 years and I uh and I it, it, through just a complete accident I had a chance meeting with the guy that uh ended up being my business partner for about 15 years and, and was the guy that had the idea for the show, explained what he was doing. You know, I, I got this idea for a show and, you know, I, I, I uh, this is like back in 1995. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to find a host all over the country and I find all these TV guys that, you know, don't know anything about cars, all these car guys that, you know, can't put three words together into a sentence. And, <laughs> you know, you, know, you, you see. You know a lot about cars. You're kind of a character. That's a hell of a mustache. Um, <laughs> you know, if if we get through the... Because we were shooting a commercial. That's how we met, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, recruiting somebody that looked like a turn-of-the-century scholar. Well...
0: There you, know. you go. <laughs> uh,
1: Bingo. 2021 was crazy. We talked to people all sorts of different ways on Zoom and everything. We talked with the director of the Great Race, Jeff Stum actually from the seat of his great race-winning car. And I guess one of the neatest
11: cars I have is a 1928 Buick uh, Country Club Coupe. And it has optional uh, wire wheels, and it has uh, side mounts. So it has six wire wheels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this was the last car that Barney Ofield, the great racer from the early 20th century, it's the last car that he ever
12: owned. Wow. Hmm. That sounds like a pretty cool lineup there. That's,
11: uh,
1: <laughs> that's, that sounds like some pretty cool cars. The, I great
11: race, go ahead. the Great Race has always had our little mascot right here, and that is Barney Oldfield.
1: That's, that's kind of our, our mascot. Cool. That car that you're sitting in, has it been restored? Is it a Survivor? Was it restored by you?
11: I did not restore it, although we've had to rebuild the engine mm-hmm. after the 2005 a great race uh through a rod on the last day oh. uh we went all the way from washington dc to tacoma washington mm-hmm. and we were at the base of mount rainier heading in tacoma and through a rod so it, we i have rebuilt the, the engine in this car uh but it was restored uh mid-90s the mid i guess the mid-90s the last time but it's been driven
0: mm-hmm.
11: like i say, so many miles uh that it's uh it's a driver. It has a lot of wear and
12: tear on it. Right. It's not It's not perfect by any means. Cars are meant to be driven, so...
1: Right. <laughs> Absolutely.
12: No matter what you do, always so, get out and drive. Exactly. Yeah. So how long have you owned that car?
11: Uh, probably close to 20 years.
12: Wow. That's yeah, wow. a little while then. Okay.
1: So you the only history car I really have cool. that's not for sale. Either. We all like to get out and drive fast. But more importantly, we need to stop. We learned all about the stopping power of bare brakes from Tim King.
8: Now we've actually started to take a step back and we, one of our newest product lines is what we call the classic series. And it's really what going back to our roots where we're offering an affordable brake kit that has an 11 inch drilled and slotted rotor mm-hmm. with the two piston caliper. And it's a complete kit. I mean, it comes with the hoses and everything. It's like 695 bucks for an axle. Wow. Oh, wow. And so even though we're going into the future, we've kind of taken somewhat of a step back So how I always equate this is if you go to like a good guys event, 3000 cars there, well, there's a hundred guys over there racing the autocross circuit. And we've always focused a lot on those guys because those guys are pushing the limits and that helps us develop our product. Mm -hmm. But we were kind of missing the boat, so to speak, with the 2000 cars that are on the show field. And we said, hey, let's let's help these guys out too because they still need great brakes Mm -hmm. and they still want to run their factory 15 inch wheels, but they don't need a six piston 14 inch rotor to stop their car cuz they're just cruising around right correct right. so
1: right. that's
8: really where we've kind of reeled ourselves in a little bit and started to change our focus for this next year or two
1: I see. And and I've always run into people that still want to run even a 14-inch wheel. Is that something that's like the smallest that you guys get into because a lot of the the 60s cars had a 14-inch wheel and I've some people are looking more for outward accuracy and do you offer anything like that for the 14-inch wheel people?
8: Yeah, a lot of the the classic series a lot of those wheels or brakes will fit inside of a 14-inch wheel. Kind of depends on the wheel. Oh, Understood. All of our brakes yeah, all of our brakes, there's a template online. You could download, print it out, and okay. physically fit it. But yeah, they're they're 11-inch rotor with a two-piston caliper, so it's a pretty compact package. Right. In the rear, we even do a 10.5-inch rotor with a single piston, mm-hmm. so that'll for sure fit there.
1: If you're a car nerd like me and you love automotive history, the Automotive History Preservation Society has everything you need. We talk with Bob Giarmetta about how he's keeping the history alive.
13: What we do is we operate a digital library and what that means is we make images of all kinds of automotive documents from advertisements to service manuals and we place them in this library for people to access for free. Uh, the Probably the most uh, in, interesting thing about it is we operate the library much like Amazon operates their commercial establishment except you don't have to pay for it in that you don't need a personal assistant to get anything out of the library. You use either use the search engine or follow the topics just like you would on some place like Amazon or eBay. Mm-hmm. And you see the material and then you um, can click on it and download it or just plain view it. Uh, we have a quarter of a million images in the library. We had about wow. 5,000 a week, believe it or not. Wow. That is and, a lot um, of information. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It sure is. And um, we receive about um, 100,000 visitors a year Mm -hmm. who download close to a million documents. So the site is very active, and it's a best kept secret even as being active. So obviously, the more people know about it, the more people we expect to come. And the site is designed so that human intervention is not required. In those 100,000 visitors, we might receive 30 requests that are outside people not being able to find what they want. Oh. Um, so it, it's kind of smooth, and, and we always hope that people will go there. And we have a, a link, obviously, on every page of the site. Somebody can't figure something out. Mm-hmm. They can click on it, and one of our volunteers will help them. We sat down with Justin Dugan of Turn 5, and he talked to
1: us about all the parts he has available for Jeeps, trucks, and Mustangs.
12: So brand ambassador for AmericanMuscle.com and AmericanTrucks.com. What, uh, tell us what you do
14: there. Yes, sir. So it's been about 10 years I've been with the company now as um, basically started off as a, a video host and that role kind of evolved over the decade. And like I was telling you earlier, we, uh, I think we ran out of names to call me. So now I'm a brand <laughs> ambassador, but basically I still do the, uh, the same thing, which is primarily a lot of the videos for both AmericanMuscle and AmericanTrucks.com. Uh, I would say our bread and butter would be to, um, our, our bread and butter videos are explaining the products that we sell, demonstrating if possible, how they are used and also how to install them. So a perfect example, I always love to give, uh, for car guys, especially is like, say you want an exhaust, we all know there's a thousand exhaust companies out there, mm-hmm. all of different designs. Cool. Well, we'll talk about the exhaust in our studio first, show you how it's made, talk about materials. At that point we'll install it and then we'll actually rev it up on a given Mustang or truck so mm-hmm. you can actually hear it before you buy it and that's something we've been doing I would say probably we one of the first to actually do that over 10 years ago wow. and um, it, it's been super helpful I know uh, for customers all over the place because they always tell me I see a lot of them at our car show every year and, uh, you know, amongst the exhaust videos, but other stuff as well. Oh you, guys, oh, you saved me. Thanks for telling me how to install that. Or I was having a problem with this bolt and i watched your video and it really helped us out. So uh, I would say those are probably the um, the videos that we, we, we really enjoy doing and we do the most of. Uh, that being said, though, we also do a lot of fun content as well. So
1: as part of our What Drives Youth initiative, we talked with Nick Ellis from the RPM Foundation.
15: Yeah, so this came out of the concern that there's not enough young people getting into this industry. If you look at uh, the push in the 70s and 80s for all people to pursue a four-year college degree, that resulted in a tremendous skilled trade shortage in the U.S. and particularly in vehicle restoration and preservation. So what the RPM Foundation does is we try to combat that with uh, support for careers in the industry. So we do um, grant funding for scholarships for young people who want to get into uh, classic car restoration and preservation. We do um, other types of grant funding like internships, apprenticeships. We'll support high schools that have a a project that they're working on with um, uh, parts and equipment funding Uh, Aside from the grant funding, we've got programs of our own where we um, uh, do apprenticeships and internships of our own. And we do programs to introduce young people to different aspects of the industry. So anything we can do to, to influence and welcome young people into the industry, it's what we do.
12: Oh, very cool. You know, Nick, how many high schools do you find that have some sort of program anymore?
15: Yeah, that's an excellent point. We're seeing it disappearing at an alarming rate. and but I mean, as, as far as the programs themselves go, the ones that are still existing uh, are very well attended. We've got a school in Wisconsin called Freedom High School in Wisconsin. All of the other programs are seeing drops in the enrollment, any of the elective courses. But this one in particular it just keeps increasing every year. There's more and more interest in it. So that's why I was glad to hear you say earlier that there's You know, there is genuine interest among this generation. We hear a lot of people saying, kind of going negative on it, saying, oh, kids today, they don't care about cars. What we have to be asking ourselves is, why are there not more young people getting into this? And what can we be doing to engage them and increase their participation in it?
12: What's the F2000 racing series? We found out with Peter West, uh, so, uh, tell us a little bit about about uh, Pacific F two thousand racing.
16: Well, we are an open wheel series that ostensibly is a development series where young drivers can get a start on their open wheel pro careers. Uh, now, there are also older guys like myself that stick around, and we're not we're not looking to move up. But there's still a fair amount of driving talent. Quite a few. Young guys have gotten a career start in our series, and one of the things that's cool for me personally is that when I watched the Indy 500, as I did this year, there are about nine guys in that race that I have raced with.
1: It's good to have somebody that you can see that uh, you have raced with and, and come up with uh, in, in the circuit. That That's fun.
12: So uh, before, before these guys come to you, I'm sure you're not like the starting point for – For their racing, what other forms of racing would they be doing before they come to your your, uh, racing?
16: For many of them, karting. Uh, Now, there's karting and then there's karting. (laughs) You know, there's local karting, which here in Southern California, we have some pretty good local karting organizations. But then there's national karting, which is much more serious, also much more expensive. Uh, But yeah, and that's really where a lot of our drivers come from is from the national karting scene like SCUZA. And then there are other lower open wheel classes like Formula 1600, where these guys get to drive and then they look at Pacific Formula 2000 as a way to step up to cars with a little more power, more aero, a little bit better level of driving talent.
1: Faster with Finnegan, with cafeteria trays? Yeah, that happened. Now we, we ask everybody, and it's the stupidest question ever what car did you take your driver's test in? Ooh,
17: 86 Buick Skylark. Biggest pile of crap ever. <laughs> you want, Oh, you want to hear something about that? Hell so, yes. Um, <laughs> let me tell you How'd a story. you break it? How'd so, you crash
1: uh, it? How'd you parallel park it up on the curb? All of that.
17: I got all of that. It's all related. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Um, and so then my mom starts teaching me to drive, um, during like the three months I had between, I had my learner's permit and was going for my driver's test at 16. And one day we get on the highway in this car and you know, I begged her to drive and she's trying to teach me and give me some hours behind the wheel. And I get on the highway and just people are flying by us and honking and yelling and she's, she's pretty flazzled. She's like, <laughs> what? I don't get it. I'm like, I don't either i'm going 55 mom i have no idea why these people are so pissed off and Mm. well the car was digital and somebody had put a button and put it on kilometers
8: (laughs) they're
17: on the highway going like 32 you know or whatever um and then uh so i took my driver's test in that car and i passed and then um right about that time my camaro developed a rear main leak and because I didn't know any better, I thought that meant we had to rebuild the engine. So we oh. took the motor out, and my neighbor and I tried to rebuild it together. Didn't go well. Um, and then uh, somebody else had to actually rebuild the motor a second time. And I finally get that car back together and on the road, and I totally, in the middle of a rainstorm, like my car just starts hydroplaning, and I go head on into a brick wall. And then sideways into a phone pole oh. and uh car's total. Like the phone pole hit the driver's door. The driver's door hit the driver's seat, ripped it out of the floorboard and just laid me in the passenger seat. And uh, I ended up crawling out what would have been the back window and sitting on the curb in the rain. And um, <laughs> the car is like a foot shorter and U-shaped. The rear end is knocked out of it. Like it's a mess. And the fire department comes and they're like, where's the driver? Oh, it's me. You should be dead. <laughs> but I'm not because, you know, good old American iron saved me. Um, and the reason I'm telling you all this is I end up right back in that crappy 86 Buick Skylark for my senior year of high school. Oh. Um, and the only good redeeming value of that car is that, you know, you can do e-brake slides on fast food trays because it's front wheel drive. And it's... <laughs> And as I discovered, if you jump it enough times and blow out the rear struts, um, you can then shift really fast from reverse to drive while grabbing the e-brake, and you can actually make the back of the car hop up on down off the ground like it's got hydraulics. Um, And there's the story.
1: (laughs) How do you jam 53 events in 52 weeks a year? I I have no idea either. What we found out from Jeanette Desjardins. The founder of Car Chicks.
12: So tell us a little bit about Car Chicks. What, what all do you guys do?
18: Sure. So Car Chicks, it's the premier motorsports organization for women. We advertise and promote women in motorsports and the automotive industry. Um, we I started this about the end of 2009, but it like officially launched in 2010. So we've been doing this for about 11 years. Um, in addition to you know, helping um, women promote themselves, or networking them, or um, help you know helping them market themselves to get them in different careers or opportunities. We also were hosting uh, like ladies only drag races and battle of the sexes. We also did a lot of fundraisers for breast cancer, the Four H Foundation. Prior to COVID, we we're doing about four to six a year, and then when COVID hit, we canceled all of our races that year. But we still went on the road full time to keep the mission alive and help keep the motor in this industry going. So this year we're slowly bringing back our events. We did do battle the sexes out at great lakes dragway over Memorial day weekend, which is also um, the oldest operating drag strip in the country. Wow. Uh, it's pretty wow. legendary. If you've never been there, Broadway, Bob, the whole nine. Um, <laughs> so that's what we do. And this all, it all just kind of like, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I remember in, in 2000, no, in 2019, all of a sudden, because we have such a huge database of women drivers, mm-hmm. we have people that are starting to use us as scouts when they're trying to replace drivers or look for different opportunities, whether than drag racing, circle track, um, things like that, or even uh, recommendations for talent for industry jobs. Wow.
1: Oh, that was, cool. yeah. was going to be a question was, um, oh, sorry, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. You didn't blow it up or nothing. It's fine. I can I that was something that was severely on my mind was if you guys get people looking for women specifically, like you say, you have scouts, did you get that a lot that that people are coming to you now?
18: Yeah, so in the last couple of years, absolutely, um people because we've been around for eleven years now, and so people recognize that we have. These huge databases and net and connections in the industry.
1: As a custom car nerd, I didn't know a whole lot about diesel racing, but I sure did after we sat down with Ron Knock from Diesel Motorsports. Well, I know you talked about getting uh, getting the younger generation involved with uh, with Diesel Motorsports. That's a lot of what we're our our real deal and what we're promoting constantly on our podcast. Um, What are you guys actively doing to get other the younger folks involved? You know,
7: in these rural communities, uh, many of them do come from farms and small towns, Mm -hmm. and they learn to drive at 15 years old. They have to to get to a job sure, or even to school. I mean, a lot of these small towns don't even have their own schools anymore. They got to drive to the next town to get to school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the youth market is getting into the – in rural areas – driving early just like we went through and uh you know in big cities i've heard of kids that are graduating from high school that don't even have a driver's license
12: wow
0: yeah
7: so it's a different uh that's where our market is is the rural market these kids get grandpa's pickup or their dad's pickup uh, find out for you know it's still if you look at the cost of what it takes to up the horsepower of a of a diesel pickup it's pretty reasonable i mean you could spend three to four thousand dollars and double the horsepower
12: that's pretty good bang for the buck yeah that is that's that's yeah. a lot
1: It seems better than a gasoline engine yeah
7: well try to do that on a sport compact right that's not gonna happen no that's right. not gonna happen so that's the reason these kids like it and Come on, what's more American than a big four wheel drive pickup? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish somebody would have told my 16 year old self way back when that doing donuts in the snow could actually be a career. We got to talk with Matt Haugen of Haugen Racing.
12: What is the idea behind drifting? I mean, what is somebody that doesn't, like me, that don't know much about drifting? What would you tell them drifting
1: yeah talk us through that like like how do you score points or how does uh how does any of that schedule how's it set up i mean explain explain to our listeners
19: yeah so drifting um i like to say it's it's judged kind of like figure skating where it's you know off of it's it's off of line angle and style and so there's no there's no timing um, and then there's no like sensors or anything. They have done sensors, um, in some scoring. And I think that would be really cool to include, but generally at this point, like take formula drift as kind of the, the model. A lot of people, um, will take their kind of judging and, and play with that a little bit, but they go off of line angle and style. And so they have a judge for each one. So before the competition starts, we'll have a driver's meeting and the judges will, will have a track map. And they'll say, this is where we want you on track. And so they'll have what they call outer zones, touch and goes, inner clips. Um, and so they basically are telling you where to put your rear bumper and front bumper of the car on track. And so if you do that perfectly, then that'd be a hundred point, you know, line. Um, then the angle judge is looking, cause we're drifting, we're going sideways, right? Um, and so you could be, you know, slightly sideways or like really sideways. And so the angle judge is wanting you to be pretty much as sideways as you can, but still staying online and keeping up a really fast pace. And so, and then the style judge is kind of the one where it, it gets really crazy, but they're looking for like, you know, how aggressive did you enter? Cause there's a lot of ways, different ways to enter a drift. Um, some are like a much easier, not as risky way. So the style judge is like, did this look risky? Did it, you know, did it look crazy? And then basically at the start of the competition, everyone lays down qualifying runs. They judge on that line, angle and style, and then they place you in a bracket and you battle it out. So the lead driver is trying to do a hundred point qualifying run and the chase driver is trying to mimic them and stay as close as possible. And that's where drifting gets really crazy. Cause we're literally like the cars are like touching. Um, and then you switch, and then out of that battle. So those two um, cars at a time? Yeah. Racing? So you okay. start qualifying, which is one car at a time, and then in the competition, mm-hmm. it's two cars at a time, and then till you get to, like, a final winner, basically.
12: Oh, my. Wow. So. Okay. Interesting.
1: How expensive is your car? Probably not as expensive as Bruce Pascal's rear-loading pink beach bomb how how did you find a lot of your collection did you did you seek out people or things I know I know you have a bit of a story about that
20: sure I I think I have a unique story uh in the year late 1999 I bought the rarest Hot Wheel in the world it's called the pink rear load beach bomb it was a Volkswagen bus that Mattel made but unfortunately it didn't work with all the accessories so after making about a hundred of them we suspect Mattel stopped making them and they redesigned the car completely. A bunch of employees took the car home and then years later they started selling it and it became the Mona Lisa's of the hobby. Uh, So when I bought this rarest car in the world, somebody made an accusation, maybe that car is not real. So what I did is I tracked down the original employee who sold the car to the guy I bought it from. He was so offended that somebody would have said that a car could be faked. And by the way, of course there are people that do restoration and we can talk about that, but you can't sneak into Mattel's factory and make a Hot Wheel, it, you know, that just doesn't happen. So he one night sent me this nice package of his biography of when he started working for Mattel. And he sent me all these newsletters that had pictures of him, like the Mattel golf team of 1969, You know, the Mattel alumni for five year award. So one night at three in the morning I woke up and I said, oh my God, if he had a car worth five figures in his garage, maybe if some of these other guys are alive, they have cars in their garage. You ever lose a
1: race to a girl? We talk with Olivia and Jenna Gentry about their historic
12: 2021 great race win. Today, we have the winners of the 2021 Great Race with us is Olivia and Jenna Gentry. They made history by being the first all-female team to win the Great Race. Wow. And not only did they win the Great Race, they was a full nine seconds ahead of second place.
1: Wow. That is history in the making.
12: Yes. That is incredible. So, Olivia, uh, you're 20, correct? Yes, sir. 20. And, mm-hmm. and you, was, you was the driver. Yes, sir. And then Jenna, yeah. you're 18 and you was the navigator? Yes, sir. All right. Well, congratulations on your win, mm-hmm. for one thing. Uh, so is this the first? Yeah. This is not the first year you guys did this, though, is it?
6: This is our fourth year competing.
12: Fourth wow. year? Wow. Yes,
6: sir. Yes, sir.
12: As a team? You've, you've always competed together?
17: Yes, sir. As a team. Yes, sir. Um, the first year that I was 16 and we were able to compete, um we we rallied together as a team i drove and she navigated obviously and then um here we are four years later so
1: what vehicle did you drive the first time
17: the first uh two rallies actually we were in a 64 dodge dart oh wow um, and so we we rallied in that for the first two years and then the last two years we've been in a 32 ford
1: five window
12: very nice yeah, what what better car to be driving across the country
1: than a thirty two five window? Huh? <laughs> is it? Is your five window a steel car or a glass car? Uh,
11: it's fiberglass.
12: It's a glass car. Okay, okay. still, yes sir. Fantastic. Yes, sir. Well, so how how many miles did you guys put on this year?
17: Uh, it's about twenty three hundred, twenty four hundred, somewhere in there.
12: And and what was your score? Your overall score for this?
3: Forty nine seconds.
12: 49 seconds over 2300 miles wow that is that's just incredible to me yeah i I can't drive a mile to walmart and pinpoint the exact (laughs) time i'm getting there so
1: (laughs) be sure to stick around for our coverage of 2021 sema and pri we're going to have so much more in 2022 i'm sure some people out there love to hear us talk We would love to hear other people talk to us. There's a good way. Our listeners can find it on our website. If you go to getoutanddrive.com, scroll to the bottom, you can find the clickable link to our listener hotline button, and you get to talk to us. So people can leave us messages? Right. Praise? Yes. Hate mail? Accolades. 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 It's called accolades. Accolades. Gotcha. Yes. Anybody out there that wants to talk to us? Yeah, maybe we'll play it on our podcast. Yeah. If you have questions, we can answer questions. Yes, exactly. Have suggestions. Yes, suggestions. Talk about life. We can answer life's problems. No. No? Well, life's
12: problems is another project card. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Be sure to follow our friends at RacingJunk.com. Use the promo code Out to receive 50% off your Pro Club membership.
1: Make sure you check out our website, getoutanddrive.com, for everything you never wanted to know about our podcast. You can learn more
12: about us, you can buy merchandise, and just check out all the fun stuff on our website. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Like, share, give us your comments. Tag us on Twitter at GetOutAndDrivePod. What drives you?